Well, good morning, church family. It's a joy to be with you together in this space. Thanks for being here this weekend, and thanks for those who are tuning in online. Grateful to gather with you remotely, digitally like this also. Uh, Just one quick announcement from me before we jump into the last message of the series that we've been in here, and that is that next weekend, after this service, uh, we have our Pizza with the Pastor event happening, taking place. So on June 4th, At around 11, 15-ish, we're inviting those of you who are new, who feel new, who feel like, you know what, you'd kind of like to get to know a little bit more about who we are as a church and hear where it is that we're headed and maybe meet some other people who are new and meet some of our pastoral team. We're inviting those of you to, to come and have lunch with us. Um, It's a great first step. It's a great next step if you're looking for one, and so we'd love for you to join in with us. Registration would be a gift for us because then we know we have enough pizza, and you can do that as well as find any more information about that uh, on our website. Now, I'm going to start off this weekend by letting you all know that I suck at gardening. Last weekend, if you were here, you know Rita got up and and she proudly declared that she was going to spend the rest of her long weekend in her garden. And for Rita, as well as I'm sure for many like you, uh, this is a deep love for you that brings a tremendous amount of joy. Not for me. Now, when it comes to my lawn, I don't mean to brag, but I am a maestro. My previous neighbor, who was never really all that sociable until the day before he moved out, said to me, Brody, my one regret is not spending more time learning how to have a lawn like you. But gardening, tending to things that that take time and effort and work, it's just not going to happen. My wife and I, we built these two huge garden boxes when we lived in Lethbridge, and we planted a ton of things, and everything died in that box that first year. My one greatest success with gardening has been rhubarb. (laughs) Those of you who garden know that stuff will grow anywhere. If you ate a rhubarb pie and spit in your yard, you'll have rhubarb for a hundred years. It grows anywhere, anytime, all the time. And yet every spring, Jody and I make the drive over to Greenland Garden Center. We buy our flowers, we buy the baskets, and we always start off really strong. We fertilize, we water, we're devoted to the process. Jody's still keeping up with the watering. I asked her if I could film her because I thought it would be helpful for us to see her watering and and pruning our flowers. But I'm telling you right now, we are but a mere matter of days before things are going to dry out and be dead as dust when the excitement finally wears off. So this last I am statement of Jesus, though harder for me in practice, is profoundly easy for me to understand in concept. Whether you're a green thumb or no thumb, completely unable to keep even fake plants alive, you will be able to get this message. So this weekend we're wrapping up our I am series with Jesus' final I am statement where he says, I am the true vine." If you have a Bible with you, I'd encourage you to open it up to John chapter 15. This is where we'll be for the bulk of our time together this weekend. It says this, I am the true vine, and my Father is the gardener. Every branch in me that does not produce fruit, he removes, and he prunes every branch that produces fruit so that it will produce more fruit. You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Remain in me, and I in you. 
Just as a branch is unable to produce fruit by itself unless it remains on the vine, neither can you unless you remain in me. I am the vine, and you are the branches. The one who remains in me and I in him produces much fruit because you can do nothing without me. Again, as Rita pointed us towards last weekend, Jesus' last two I am statements found in the Gospel of John take place in the farewell discourse, John 14 to 17, where Jesus is sharing all of his final and last encouragements and instructions with his disciples before his arrest and ensuing crucifixion. So these words are actually really important. It's the last thing that Jesus feels compelled to tell his closest followers. And it's here where Jesus calls his disciples to be deeply connected to him. And we can't miss this or overlook this. One of the last things that Jesus longed for his followers to hear is how absolutely crucial our connection with him is. Rita mentioned last weekend that this was actually the very practice of Jesus himself as the one who was deeply connected to the Father and led by the Spirit. And we see this lived out over and over again in Jesus' ministry, his dependency on the Father and his, his time with the Father as being integral to his mission and ministry. Before he would lead, before he would serve, before he would perform miracles, he would still himself and seek the face of the Father in prayer and solitude. And so what Jesus is is calling the disciples towards, and subsequently what he's calling us towards, is something that he himself actually modeled and and lived out. Throughout these seven I am statements, Jesus has used a series of imagery to portray who he is and what his mission is all about. He's described himself as the shepherd. He's described himself as a gate. He's described himself as bread and light. And now here he's describing himself as the true vine. And many scholars believe that the reason why Jesus chose this metaphor here at this space was probably because of where Jesus was actually standing as he was saying all of this and teaching this. In John 14, we have Jesus in the upper room. He's shared that last supper with his disciples, and they've left that upper room, and they're on their way to the Kidron Valley in the Garden of Gethsemane in chapter 18. And the path that leads between those two places happened to just pass by the temple. And it's here at the entrance of the holy place that this huge vine used to hang. Now Josephus, who was a historian, recorded that just outside of the temple there were steps that led up to this linen curtain covered with purple, scarlet, and blue flowers. And along with it were these gold chains that hung from the door beam. And above the curtain, just beneath the roof line, grew a gigantic golden grapevine, which represented the people of Israel. And wealthy citizens who would come to the temple could bring gifts of gold to add to the vine. So they'd bring gold tendrils and grapes and leaves. And these would be added by the metal workers on the ever-growing vine. And Josephus actually claimed that some of the grape clusters, some of these golden grape clusters were the height of a man. And so many are led to believe that standing under or at least near this giant golden overt display of the people of Israel that Jesus says, I, I'm the true vine. Now, the vine and and the vineyard were old and sacred images of Judaism as they were with most Mediterranean societies. The vine represented in the scriptures the covenant people of God planted and tended by God, resulting in Israel's producing a fruit. 
And so there's a couple of things that Jesus is doing here in this I am statement. First, he's making it clear that he is now replacing the land. See, for the people of Israel, tied together deeply with their identity was their God-given land. This was why the move towards the promised land was so important to them as a nation. It fulfilled part of their covenant with the Lord where they would be established for themselves and then live out the command to be a blessing to all of the nations. And we see this progression through the Gospel of John as Jesus clearly communicates all that he is replacing. In chapter 2, Jesus describes that he's here to replace the temple. In chapter 6, Jesus replaces the Passover. In chapters 7 and 8, he replaces the festival of shelters. And now he's saying that he replaces the land or Israel as a location. And each of these things that Jesus replaces are connected to spiritual spaces. They're either gatherings that were designed to connect God with people such as the Passover or the Festival of Shelters or they were literal places where God was believed to be present within such as the temple and their promised land. So what Jesus is doing here is he's saying that the new sacred space in which God's people now must come to dwell is in him. It's not in a location. It's not in a building. It's in him, the person of Jesus. The second thing that's important here is that Jesus is helping the people see and understand that his movement and his mission is now no longer connected to and exclusively reserved for a single nation or a single group, but is available to everyone through him. Jesus replacing the vine is a replacement of the people of Israel as a nation. He's helping the people to see that it's not your nationality, it's not your lineage that matters any longer, it's your connection to Christ. He makes a way for us to become true sons and daughters of the King, connected to the Father, receivers of his blessing again in order that we might become distributors of that blessing all over the world. It's not your connection to the people of Israel, but your connection to the man, Jesus, that you receive the very promises of God. I am the true vine is a profound declaration. But one of the things that makes this I am statement unique is that it's directly connected to what we are. The, the you are statement follows the I am statement. Jesus makes it clear that he is the vine. He also clarifies that, that the father is the gardener who prunes the whole. And we, we being the followers of Jesus, are described as the branches. And those branches have a specific command, and that is to remain in Jesus, to stay connected to the vine. Now, some translations will use the word abide here. This is why we sang the song we did, or, or dwell here. And so we can't really move on from here without spending a little bit of time unpacking, well, what does it mean to remain in Jesus? Because just a few verses after the verse that we, we read here, Jesus describes that the branches that don't remain in him or don't abide in Jesus are actually bundled up and cast into the flame to be burned. It's a metaphor that's real stark and, and honest. If you don't ever find yourself grafted to the vine, that your eternity truly is at stake. And so what does it mean to abide in Christ, to remain in him? A couple of thoughts here. First and foremost, this passage does not speak to the lack of security that we as believers, um, as followers of Jesus. Jesus says, 
Remain in me and I will remain in you. And he reiterates to his disciples, you are already clean because of the word that I've spoken to you. Now John captures lots of the heart of Jesus. It's what makes his gospel so unique. And throughout the gospel we hear Jesus restate over and over and over again that it's our belief in Christ that gives us the status of sons and daughters of God. That's how John opens up his whole gospel by saying that very thing. John 1 verse 12, but to all who did receive him, he gave them the right to be children of God to those who believe in his name. So this passage isn't saying that you better keep up your spiritual practices or else your salvation is at stake. But what it is saying, and we can't miss this, is that your life will produce nothing of any spiritual or eternal significance apart from remaining in Jesus. Hear that again. Your life will produce nothing of any spiritual or eternal significance apart from your remaining in Christ. And this should be huge for us. At least I hope it should be huge for us. I mean, do you really want to find yourself grafted to the branch only to become stagnant and make nothing of the opportunity and the life that you've been given to make any lasting value? Do you really feel satisfied making life about just you or maybe extending it just to your family unit while neglecting the call to be the blessing of God to the whole world activated for his kingdom? I mean, that's a pacified experience. I don't know a word to describe it any other better way. But it's not at all how we were designed and created to live. Each of us long for our lives to matter, for our lives to make a difference. Challenges is we all define what matters in a very different way than often the things that are eternal. Jesus says, I am the vine and you are the branches. The one who remains in me and I in him produces much fruit because you can do nothing. You can do nothing without me. What John's trying to capture here for us is a sense of, of urgency that speaks to the necessity of all this. This isn't marginal. This isn't an idea that's just reserved for a select few. It's not even optional. If we are not united to the vine so that Christ's life is flowing into us and through us, then his words, his love, his joy will be utterly and totally barren in our lives and subsequently will not be passed along to the desperate world all around us. And truly, nothing of any lasting value will ever come for us, from us. That's, that's the picture that John's trying to paint for us here. And so what does it mean? What does it look like practically to remain or, or to abide? John wrote a few letters after his gospel to the early church to encourage them. And his first letter, aptly titled First John, uh, he speaks to this answer. But here's a good little summary that he gives in First John chapter 2, verses 3 and 6. He says, this is how we know that we know him if we keep his commands. The one who says, I've come to know him and yet doesn't keep his commands is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word, truly in him the love of God is made complete. This is how we know we are in him. The one who says he remains in him should walk as he walked. I mean, it's not complex 
To remain in Christ is to be connected to the vine. Jesus clarifies in verse 7 that remaining in him also means allowing his words to remain in you. It's this constant, intentional closeness and connectedness with Jesus that requires time spent with him, engaging with things like spiritual practices such as prayer and scripture study and solitude and acts of service and community with other believers and so on. John says here it's in keeping his commands, Jesus' commands and his word. It's abiding in the love of the Father, trusting in and allowing his love to fill our hearts and our minds, and then walking the way Jesus walked, by serving and giving towards the world in the same way that Jesus did. And all of it made possible only by following the same example of Christ, attached to the Father and empowered by the Spirit. And then if we ever start to wonder whether it's working, If we ever start to wonder if we're in a place of remaining or abiding in Jesus, John gives us a bit of a litmus test. He says, if you remain, you will produce fruit. As simple as that. And again, I'm guessing there aren't many viticulturists here. I had to look that word up. But it's those who tend to grapevines, something we don't have a lot of in the Edmonton metro region. But we can connect to this idea based on our crabapple trees or our strawberry bushes. We get this. The healthy, most connected parts of the plant see the most growth and will produce the most fruit. It's an image that should be obvious and make sense quickly and easily. It means actually tending to your spiritual souls beyond just consuming church an hour every other third week. Now again, let me be clear with what this metaphor is not saying. Producing fruit is not a test in which a branch has to demonstrate a level of productivity in order to be safe from destruction. But our fruit, made evident by the work of the Spirit in and through our connectedness with Jesus, is just a natural byproduct. Being connected to the vine means that the life of Jesus is flowing through us and leading to faithfulness, which will be the inevitable outcome of a connected and intentional spiritual life with Jesus. Or in other words, our fruitfulness confirms our connection to the vine. It's what reveals that we are abiding and remaining. The Apostle Paul, in his letter to the Galatians, gives us a great picture of the sort of fruit that should be evident in our lives. Galatians 5, verse 22, he says, But the fruit of the Spirit is love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control. Paul says these are the things that should be evident in our lives, growing in our walk with Jesus. Jesus says that being connected to him should create within us a growing sense of joy and love and kindness and goodness. We should actually be, as people, more faithful. We should be gentler and more in control of ourselves as a result of being connected to Christ. And so the inevitable question for all of us to sit in is, are you? Are we? Do you find yourself producing fruit? Continuing along, what about all the pruning? What do we do with that? Is that that really necessary? Back to what Jesus says. He says, I'm the true vine and my father is the gardener. Every branch in me that does not produce fruit, he removes and he prunes every branch that produces fruit so that it will produce more fruit. Now, I'm going to be honest. Pruning doesn't sound like a great time. 
right? If we were to put up on our big screen that we're having a pruning event, I don't think many of you would show up. I probably wouldn't either. The imagery of parts of ourselves being cut off and, and stripped away doesn't sound like something that we typically are drawn towards. And you're right. It's not at all. It's why most of us try our hardest to avoid it or run from it because when God's spirit starts to convict sin and brokenness in our lives and calls us out of addictions and patterns of selfishness, it actually costs us something. We feel it and it's rarely ever comfortable for us. But it is always helpful for us. See, if we don't trim away parts of the plant that are not productive or that are already dead, we know that it will cause the whole plant to suffer and prevent it from being able to thrive the way that it was intended to thrive. The key to the whole plant thriving and the most fruit being realized comes through the pruning and the cutting away that which is preventing health and vitality. And Jesus doesn't want us to miss this. But here's the key. The visual that I think Jesus wants us to understand here can't go unnoticed. You see, the work of the gardener pruning the branches is not work that's done at a distance. This isn't like the the farmer in southern Alberta hiring the crop duster to just blanket the whole field in pesticides. The work of the gardener on the vine pruning is careful. It's intentional. And it's actually really close. The one who prunes the vine has to be close. God's guiding through the things that that need to be shaved down, smoothed out, and outright ousted from our lives is done at the hand of the one who is close and who cares and whose desire for you is your thriving as a result of the pruning, always. Jody and I, we're in this right now with our grade six son who is absolutely convinced that he is the only kid in his entire class who does not have an iPhone. And we've been very honest with him that there are going to be parts of our parenting that he is not going to like, nor will he probably ever understand until maybe one day he's a parent himself looking back. And so as much as he wants this and he feels left out, Without it, Jody and I simply cannot shy away from all of the research that continues to make direct correlation between teenage anxiety and depression with early prolonged screen access. And so we're pruning. And it stings. And he's miserable and he hates it, but our desire for our son is health and to thrive and to prevent him from suffering. And so we do things out of love in order to help him flourish. And God the Father, pictured here as the gardener, wants only the same for each and every one of you, my friends. So what happens? What happens if we do this? What happens if we remain in Jesus and we stay connected to the vine? John gives us three implications. The first is we bear fruit. We've talked about that, but we bear it for a purpose, and that is that we glorify the Father. Look at verses 7 and 8. It says, if you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you want and it'll be done for you. My Father is glorified by this, that you produce much fruit and prove to be my disciples. Again, we've spoken lots about the need to bear fruit, but here John helps us understand the why. It's not, it's not for our sake. It's not for our glory or so that we can look like these incredibly selfless, humble, and committed followers. It's all about God the Father being glorified. 
It's about revealing to the world around us his goodness and kindness and grace and mercy and love in order that others can see and be captivated by God the Father. Secondly, bearing fruit helps us experience love and joy in Jesus. John continues, as the Father has loved me, I have also loved you. Remain in my love. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in his love. And I've told you these things so that my joy may be complete in you. It's only when we find ourselves deeply connected to the person of Jesus that we can experience the deep love of the Father and the true and lasting joy that we all long for in this world. Jesus says, remain in me and know my love and the Father's love and find joy that will last, joy that will satisfy. Make your joy complete. And lastly, remaining in Jesus gives you the ability, it's what gives you the ability to love beyond just you and to others. John continues, this is my command, love one another as I have loved you. No one has greater love than this, to lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. I do not call you servants anymore because a servant doesn't know what his master is doing. I've called you friends because I've made known to you everything I've heard from my father. You didn't choose me, but I chose you. And I appointed you to go and produce fruit, and your fruit should remain. So that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he'll give you. And this is what I command you. Love others. Love one another. The summary of all of Jesus' teaching on this topic is connected to love. Love that has been clearly revealed by God through Christ that he would lay down his life for our sake. And that true experience of that love would lead you to loving others, a shift from self and self-preservation and selfish thought or ambition towards others as this deep and beautiful reflection of Christ's love. So what about you? Where does this all land for you individually today? I think there's a few different responses based on kind of where each of us are at. Many of you are here And you're living this fruitful life of abiding and remaining in Jesus. And you're experiencing consistently this growth of healthy fruit and the joy of a deeply connected life with Christ. So for you, I just, I cheer you on. Keep going, keep pushing in. It's worth it and you know this because you're in it. Some of you here might find yourself feeling a little bit dried up. You know you're connected, you're secure and confident in that, but you know that you're not producing much in the way of fruit. You know, if you're honest, that there isn't much of any sort of eternal or lasting significance coming from the way that you're living your life or spending your time or your money. The invitation for you is to open yourself up to the possibility that perhaps Jesus has more for you, more in store for you. And the satisfaction that you think you're finding in all of these other places in life pales in comparison to what Jesus has to offer if you'd start to let him work in you and through you to produce lasting fruit. That you might be inspired towards the kingdom impact and making your life matter for the things that actually really matter. Some of you here know that that you're not connected to the vine. You've You've yet to be connected to the vine. 
Maybe you're curious about what that looks like, or maybe there is this sense of longing and desire to experience what it is that Jesus has for you. And the invitation for you is just, would you believe? Would you allow yourself, maybe for the first time, to be connected to Christ? Again, we looked at this. John's recording of this in the very first chapter of his gospel is that all who receive him and gave, all who did receive him, he gave them the right to be children of God, those who believe in his name. And later in, in chapter 3, Jesus has this interaction with Nicodemus and he infamously says, for God so loved the world in this way, he gave his one and only son so that everyone who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. And so your invitation is to believe and to allow yourself to be connected to the person of Christ. If you're curious what that looks like or what that means, we'd love to have a conversation with you. A bunch of us pastor types are down here in the front, and we'd love to talk to you about that. And lastly, some of you, if you're you're being real honest, would describe yourself more like a silk plant or a fake plant or a bowl of of fake fruit. And from a distance, outwardly, it looks like you're really healthy and vibrant, but anyone who, who ends up getting close enough can easily see that there's nothing real there at all. And you're faking it. There's no connection to the life-giving vine, and what's maybe worse is that you're okay with faking it and putting on a, a, a picture, a show of connectedness. And for you, I pray that that you would see that the Father is is close enough and that he wants you to to be able to see, he wants to help you see that there's so much more available to you as soon as you would stop looking just at you and look up to him. And so will you allow yourself to be connected to Jesus and experience his transforming power at work within you and through you to the world at large? And that's, that's the last I am statement. That's our, our series. And so here's how I'd love to end. We've worked through seven of these I am statements of Jesus, and they're, they're up there. You've got to kind of sit like this to see them. I get that. Sorry. Um, but here's what I want you to do. Seven I am statements of Jesus, and what I'd love for each and every one of you to consider is what your I will, what your I will statement could be in response to these I am statements. Jesus said, I am the bread of life. So my question for you, do you feel nourished? Will you reach for Christ's daily provision and allow Jesus to be enough for you? Jesus said, I am the light of the world. So I ask you, are you walking in darkness? And will you allow yourself to walk in the light? Will you allow a light to shine into the places of your life that are hidden and that remain dark? Jesus said, I am the gate for the sheep. My question for you is, do you feel like you're at home? Will you allow yourself to come home? Jesus said, I am the good shepherd. My question for you is, do you, do you know his voice? If he were to speak, would you recognize his voice? And will you learn to listen and recognize the voice of Christ in your life? Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. Will you step forward into the life that you were created to live and leave the one that you know isn't leading you anywhere anyways? 
Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. My question is, are you following him and him only? And will you allow yourself to, to abandon the other things that you know you're worshiping and following instead? And Jesus said, I am the true vine. Are you connected to him? Are you seeing fruit in your life? And will you practice a deeper connection to Christ? Let's pray. Jesus, I am uh, grateful for, for you. I'm humbled by your kindness and your grace. And I'll be the first to confess, Jesus, that, that as I describe you know, people whose season right now is, is producing fruit, people whose season right now is dried up, wishing there was more fruit, people who are not connected and people who are faking it, that, that I found myself in one of those places at least once in my life and in my journey with you. But you've stayed and remained committed to me just like you've stayed and remained committed to my friends here in this space. And so wherever it is that, that we find these words of yours kind of sitting and stirring within our hearts, would you reveal for us, first and foremost, your deep love for us, your admira admiration of us, your, your heart's desire. Would you reveal that you long for us, first and foremost, to just be close to you, and Jesus, I just, I know that your word hits all of us differently and, and needs to. And so wherever each of us are at in this space today, I pray that your spirit would illuminate for us what it is that we need to step into. That we would take um, a moment like this, a series like this, and not just treat it as more information that we file away into our mind, but that we would long for transformation as a result of, of your word actually coming to life within our souls and our spirits. And so call us forward in our path, whatever that path is for each and every one of us, call us forward into transformation and something new because we've sat and wrestled with these I am statements. Thank you, Jesus, that you continue to move and work in our midst. We're grateful for who you are and what you do. Now, my friends, may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. And may the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you his peace. Amen. God bless you, church. Thanks for being here with us this weekend. We look forward to being together with you again next weekend. Take care.